welcome to the Fantasy Rewind Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dylan Stoll, and I'm joined as always by my friend, Michael Wifford. And win! So today, we are going to be throwing it back and talking about the movie, The Black Cauldron, which came out in from Disney back in the 90s. Or did it? No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into anything else here, I'm going to give out the typical reminders. So if you want to get in contact with the show, you could get at us on the email, which is fantasyrewindpod at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram, which is at fantasyrewindpod. We're also on Twitter, which is at fantasyrewind. And we're on the TikTok as well, as Mike <laughs> likes to call it. <laughs> on occasion. <laughs> which is at fantasyrewindpod. All right. So without any farther ado, let's dive into the rewind. Fantasy Rewind. Fantasy. All right, the Black Cauldron. Let's get into some history or the lore of this iconic or not iconic. Controversial. Depending on really your controversial, yeah, it'd probably be the best take for it. The movie that almost killed Disney uh, <laughs> is something that's been dubbed. And this movie, man, it went through a lot. So this was the 25th animated uh, release from Disney. So kind of a pretty big hallmark mm, for them, yeah. right? And this movie was originally released in 1985. To put this in perspective, it was originally supposed to be released in 1980. And that's nine years after they acquired the rights to release the movie. Which there is usually a process after they get their rights into actually making the final product. But it went through a lot of stuff. So let me just kind of go through the book series it was based off of. And then we'll go through some of the history of this whole production mess. So the Black Cauldron is based off of the Chronicles of Perdane series by Lloyd Alexander. Those books were released between 1964 and 1968. It was a book a year. And there's five books in the series. They're kind of like children's literature, but more in the realm of Chronicles of Narnia-esque and yeah, kind of in that realm. There's death and... You know, some definite themes there for probably older elementary and middle school kids. Now, this movie, it kind of came at an interesting time for Disney because they were going through some changes in their animation staff. And I'm not going to go through names and people leaving and everything else. Outside of like Don Bluth, who is actually a pretty famous animator, he ended up uh, leaving during this project. He went and he formed a new team. He created like the Secrets of Nim. I want to say the Rock-A-Doodle Rooster, whatever that movie was. Do you remember that animated movie? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. He also worked on uh, a man, an American Tale. Oh yeah, Five Goes West know, with the mouse. Yeah. yeah. Well, he didn't do Five Go- or he didn't do the second okay. one. Okay. Uh, and he did the other Steven Spielberg animated one with the dinosaurs, I believe. Yeah, dinosaurs. Anyway. <laughs> no, no, not dinosaurs. It was the one where uh, the dinosaurs end up at this carnival and all that. Yeah, yeah. I they were that like, one's yeah. called. I used to love that movie. Though. I forget either. We're back. I yeah, think. we're back. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, so Don Bluth, who was lead animator and one of the up and coming animators at Disney, who had learned from the old guard, supposedly left, and with him, quite a few other people left as well. So their staff was pretty much stretched thin. They released the Fox and the Hound, and then they get working on this project. As I said, this went and took nine years 
it was scheduled to be released 1980 and it it took and then that was nine years and then it didn't come out for another five years after it ended up being directed by ted berman and richard rich and they were ones who had worked on the fox and hound project as well and as i said it was loosely loosely based on the books <laughs> by lloyd alexander now this was the first disney animation that ended up getting rated pg it was also the first animated movie to use cg and some of its effects mm. like when you you'll see, you notice it when you watch it now which is really interesting like the smoke and some of the water and all that like definitely is kind of it almost looks like it's layered on because it is now they had a, a new head at disney when they were finishing up this movie or getting ready to finish it up they showed him and i don't know their names doesn't matter too much but they showed him the original copy he thought it was too dark and pretty much wanted it like edited to all kingdom come and it ended up it did end up getting pretty much put to the butcher's block there's apparently a version somewhere a lot of speculation on this with the original cut which was much darker and would have warranted a much higher rating than pg what we end up getting is one that it was cut up and shortened it's interesting to think what could have been anyway they had a lot of different things they wanted to do with this there was talks at the time they were going to do like hologram cauldron born coming out when that scene part like started in oh, movie man. theaters okay. and so like cauldron born would rise up That'd be and awesome. they were really like trying to do too much thing they had too much turnover and they were trying to innovate on too much things going in too many directions and i think it, you can really kind of tell with this movie that it did suffer <laughs> in some senses with pacing and what the actual story was we know it was released in 1985 it cost 44 million dollars it grossed 22 million (laughs) dollars so that's why when people say oh this was the movie that almost killed disney like it didn't make a ton of money and um after this you know they thankfully ended up still releasing animated movies it wasn't uh, it was a sore thought or it's a sore not a sore subject. It's a sort of a blemish on their record. A blemish on their record. It wasn't actually released to VHS until 1998, which brings up Dylan's point about it being a 90s movie, because if you watched it in VHS, it wasn't until 1998, which was 13 years after it was released. Which is where I first watched it, in those big, thick plastic cases that Disney movies used to come in, and yeah. that was my first exposure to Black Cauldron. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it kind of sits in this like weird cult status now. Interestingly enough, too, this has, an, unlike pretty much every other Disney animated film, a soundtrack that features no songs with singing, yeah, no just music. Yeah. And there's talks right now, possibly, maybe down the line, possibly a live action remake, <laughs> but who knows? Uh, who knows? It'll only cost them 44 hundred million (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's kind of its weird sort of tangled history it's kind of a shame let's go ahead and dive right into your exposure to this when you originally watched it what you would maybe originally felt about it dylan you want to start us off yeah so growing up um i was limited to pretty much only being able to watch disney movies as a kid and so for me when this movie came out in 1998 on VHS, I was all about it because this was the most non-Disney Disney movie that there is. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. dark, it's fantasy driven, it's gritty. There's 
a very unlikable protagonist and <laughs> yeah. it actually you know it's one of those movies where you watch it and you're like i can't believe this is disney other than the animation style and so oh, agreed growing up in the 90s there um in a bit of a sheltered household being able to watch black cauldron and feel like i was watching something i shouldn't be watching that was a that was a good feeling and so that was my first exposure to black cauldron what about you mike so interestingly enough i i did end up reading the books uh actually before i watched the movie i don't know if i read the books because a teacher suggested it to me or an adult definitely suggested it to me and i ended up reading it and really enjoying the book series i only read it through once though and to be honest with you my memories of it are very hazy but I really enjoyed the book series, ended up watching the movie afterwards and was appalled at how different the movie was from the book. But at the same time, as I look back, I'm like, what was really different? Uh, yeah, we'll get into that. There are some big it's differences, but <laughs> not not as many as you would think in terms of like super, super mm. significant in, re- in reflection. Let's go ahead and jump into just kind of a general overview of the story here. So we have an evil king, according to the Black Cauldron. The movie. The evil king. There is this, yes, the movie. <laughs> when we reference Black Cauldron, the book series, well, let's do Chronicles of Perdane because Black Cauldron isn't even the first book. It's the second book in the series. So if you go to read this series, just know you do, you do not start with the Black Cauldron book. So we have an evil king, this spirit of a demon. He's trapped in this Black Cauldron, and the cauldron spits out evil soldiers or what they are referred to in the movie cauldron born so dylan that's kind of the whole premise like this is the evil character that the horn king is after and he's trying to create this army to take over perdane and you have a pig farmer taryn who has this mystical pig henwin and they're taken care of kind of by this older gentleman dalvin who seems to be kind of like a wizardy type man Basically, they want to keep Henwin away from the Horn King because that's how he's going to be able to find the Black Cauldron. And that's sort of the premise of this show, the movie, sorry, the movie. What we, As we watched it, and we'll get into more of it as we go, who were some of your favorite characters or who was your favorite character? Well, I'll tell you movie? right now, my favorite character was not Tarin <laughs> because he was the worst. Uh, my favorite yeah. character was probably Princess Alanwe. Because mm. she comes out of nowhere, saves Tarin from crying in the dungeon cell, and <laughs> has her little floating bobble. And every time there's like something that requires thinking, she's the one that actually steps up to the plate. And she's the one that kind of is the, to me, is the standout character of the movie. Other than Gurgi, who of course is... Uh, is like your man beast golemy like character who oh, yeah. is so unlikable in the movie as well that oh, I'm almost happy when he dies. <laughs> and his crunchy munchies. <laughs> but yeah, Princess Alan was my favorite character um in the series here. What about you, Mike? Who's your favorite character in the in the movie? Uh, in the movie, I really like Gurgi. <laughs> <laughs> Don't judge me too hard. I just think he's so cute and like, okay. So if Gurgi is Smeagol, because yes, Gurgi's Gergi really Smeagol, Creeper is Gollum. <laughs> it's like if you had Smeagol instead of G- 
Gollum like Smeagol in Lord of the Rings. You know, I don't know. He he's he makes the tough decisions and he real he learns from his mistakes and wants to change. And I, he's just he's cool. I think Gurgi's cool because Gurgi does something that Tarin does not have the cojones to do. In the end, yes, of the movie, yeah, of the movie, of the movie. <laughs> Uh, the movie again i just think it's funny too like the crunchy munchies and all this i was just like <laughs> sitting there dying on the couch last night i was like oh my god no, i seriously though i cannot watch black cauldron and see gurgi come up without thinking oh my god they stole smeagol they stole Gollum." <laughs> which is so funny i wonder if they i wonder if some of the line like sayings and line like phrasing and how it uh smeagol was sort of portrayed was maybe slightly influenced from this because i i was this came out obviously before the lord of the rings trilogy so i'm just saying maybe the actor did take a little bit of inspiration yeah it's it's so funny that you bring that up because like you said this movie the black cauldron came out years and years before peter jackson ever made the lord of the rings trilogy so i almost wonder if the actor who plays Gollum, you know andy circus took inspiration mm-hmm. from Smeagol, sorry, from Gurgi, for his <laughs> portrayal of Smeagol and Gollum, because they're so similar in my mind. They are really similar. So, yeah, it, it, that was kind of a neat little thing as I was watching too last night. I was like, oh, yeah, and making the connection between Creeper and uh, Gollum as well. <laughs> Except Creeper's not quite as vicious. No, no, he's more self-loathing. <laughs> Okay, next question I have for you here. What was the most interesting element to the story for you? For me, the most interesting element of the story probably was just the concept of the Black Cauldron itself, where, you Mm -hmm. know, you have this evil entity that's been basically transfigured into this Black Cauldron that can't be destroyed, basically gives the person who controls it an unkillable army, if only they learned to put a grate on the top of it and then, uh, or put a lid on it. But, uh, yeah, well, but then, you know, but then, uh, the soldiers can't get out. Yeah. Yeah. Crawl out the mouth. <laughs> but yeah. Um, Draw so just like the black inside. cauldron itself being able to be used to make this unkillable army, basically. Um, it's just a mm-hmm. very, it's a cool concept in my mind. You know, it's something that a lot of people would love to have like Sauron, Voldemort, you know, Anybody like that, the the White Queen from Narnia, like any villain would love to have an unkillable army oh, yeah. at their disposal. So the fact that the Horned King ha- wants it, seeks it out, and is basically gift-wrapped the Black Cauldron by the incompetence of Tarin, yeah. then, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's too perfect for, like, a, a cool little plot device for it. What about you, Mike? What's your favorite like element or like story beat from the Black Cauldron? From the movie itself, uh, it was when Tarn gave up the sword mm. for the Black Cauldron. I really well, one the witches too. When, we'll get into it when we get into the differences between the uh, book and the movie. But the witches here, when they ask for the sword, when they see the sword, his him giving it up because in the movie his whole characterization is he wants to be this warrior this knight and him finally being like you know what i am i'm just a pig farmer yeah like it's not that i shouldn't have dreams but i need to be realistic as well because what got me into so much trouble has been the daydreaming and so by giving up the sword something that literally could make him the best knight ever Mm -hmm. 
because it you know did all the work for him. I thought that was a really cool beat for his character and shows maturity and was probably the turning point for him in terms of like him being interesting and like making good decisions. Yeah, I mean you're so, you're right I, there because like from that. that point on, when Tarin gets rid of the sword. He starts, well, first of all, he gets captured. Second of all, yeah. he gets released by Gurgi. Then his initial mm-hmm. reaction is, I'm free. Let me kill myself to end this cauldron-born menace. And he goes up and yeah. tries to do that before Gurgi takes his place. But, I mean, I guess you're right. Yeah, from that point forward, when he gives up the sword and realizes, you know, okay, I gotta be more down-to-earth. I gotta stop dreaming of being this famous knight because I'm not that thing. I'm a pig farmer who's bad at my job. And uh, he can, from that point on, he is a more likable character, but he's still, to me, the bane of the movie. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. All right, so let's get into overall impressions real fast. Yeah, yeah. So for me, I know uh, my overall impression is that, again, for a Disney movie, this is dark. Like, this movie is mm-hmm. no joke. Like, I wouldn't show this to a four-year-old and, like, let them sit in front of the screen with no no adult there because they'd probably cry yeah. seeing the Horned King and the Cauldron Born. But yeah. um, it's... Agreed. <laughs> I cried. <laughs> it's a good movie if you kind of uh, are just looking for, like, a King Arthur-esque movie where mm-hmm. you kind of see, like, that um, that nobody peasant going up to being, like, this famous uh, warrior or famous knight or whatever and kind of going on a quest and everything. So it's interesting in that respect. All in all, it is uh, not my favorite Disney movie now, um, but it is one that I, I don't think deserves the hate that it probably got at the time when it came out because it's okay. It's not great. It's better than the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings. It's not too good, though. It's it's still pretty bad. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. It's a okay enough non-Disney Disney movie that's all about a fantasy quest and everything. Yeah. I think the issue here with this movie is because of all that production and the people who are trying to create it just couldn't finish the vision they yeah. had. Right? Allowed to it just the feels like there is there is pieces missing like characters change very quickly and they had to do a lot with it. And I think honestly, this property could definitely use a refresh and I think it would be great um, to do a refresh with it because there is enough interesting elements here between like the witches and that magic system and, you know, the war going on, the horn King, all of that. Like there's enticing elements to it that, you know, it'd, it'd be cool to see it revisited and redone, even if it is by another company than Disney. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say, overall, I agree with you. If we were doing this out of like a f- out of a 10, it'd probably be like on the four yeah, side for me. I agree with that. Probably about like a four out of 10. But like, so for me, like, I think that this is a property where it would be cool to actually see it modernized. And by modernized, I mean, you know, a modern take with special effects and not censored Mm -hmm. and allowed to be darker like it originally was intended to be, which is crazy to me why it's a children's book. 
and <laughs> I can't even imagine that. But I do think that, like, if they gave, excuse me, if they gave this, like, a Disney Plus series where, like, they did with Willow, it could be pretty cool. Uh, the question, though, would be if they would be allowed to go as dark as they wanted to. Um, I think that part of what fails in this movie is the early stage CGI. And mm-hmm. you can really tell it's early stages. Um, yeah. I also, like, have some questions about some of the some of how things happen in the movie. Like, I have no idea how the Horned King even found out about Henwig, of uh, you know, the pig there. Because that's never yeah. explained because the farmer's like, oh, we got to keep her secret. Oh, no, the Horn King knows. How did he find out? I was the only one that knew yeah, and I just until told you. you also knew. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, they mentioned a very vague war going on. Right. And yeah, there's a lot of elements there. That, that That's what I said, though. There is a lot there that's ripe. So let's uh, let's go ahead and transition here into some of the differences from the source material. So there's quite a quite a bit with characters. Like there's a lot of characters that don't make it in the film. I'm not going to get into them and all their names. I don't remember them all, and I don't want to butcher half of them. So we're going <laughs> to skip that piece. All right, let's start here. Aron, Aron, who is the he's actually the main antagonist in the book series, not the Horn King. Now if that name does not sound familiar. He was mentioned maybe very briefly. He's the one who was trapped in the cauldron in the movie. Mm, I thought or so. The, evil king they talked about before but he is the main antagonist in the book series not the horn king the horn king is like his general it's right there major difference between the movie and the book series second dobbin he is 379 years old and he's like bald and he's a little portly but he also has a very long beard. He's very much like supposed to be kind of like a Merlin. Right, a Merlin character, Gandalf character. Yeah, and this kind of leads into the witches. So they actually raised Dobbin and they gave him the Book of Three, mm. which sort of starts this whole thing. And uh, the witches are really interesting because so they're definitely based. I believe a lot of these the Chronicles of Pertain books are based off of mythology. Say like the Fates, maybe. I, I want to. Yes, they are based off of the Fates where they shared. Uh, either a body or an eye or something like that. Like there was some kind of sharing between them. They had a really neat element because in the movie, they're obviously they're characterized as ugly and whatever, but in the books at night, they became beautiful. Like they transformed into these beautiful women, which I think is kind of neat because I think oftentimes we do characterize, which is, it's just these ugly you right. know, creatures, ugly old and, hags. Yes, and it's kind of neat to have this a different take on that. You know, it's sort of like the same thing where evil's always ugly or fat. And thankfully, we started to get away from that, but... So heavy. <laughs> All right. Henwin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Henwin needs to use some different materials, uh, like there's like runes or something involved. And Henwin actually has putative power over the cauldron, and it's not quite, like, knows exactly where it is. So there's some big differences there in the power. Also, Terran takes Henwin on an adventure before Henwin's captured, not Henwin like he was taking Henwin to escape. So some differences there. 
Gurgi was not the one who <laughs> sacrificed himself. Uh, Prince Eladar actually sacrificed himself, who was a character we didn't meet. Really quick, like, hold on. Sorry to interrupt the character um, and the section here. But you said Gurgi was your favorite character. So first yeah. time you watched the movie, what was your reaction to Gurgi throwing himself into the cauldron? Well, they never introduced Prince Eladar, so I pretty much was like, oh, no. Like, I actually like Gurgi. <laughs> <laughs> no, the first time I watched uh, this movie and Gurgi threw himself in the cauldron, I cried, of course. Like, I'm not going to deny uh, that. Like, yeah. it was a sad moment, and it's a heartfelt moment, because Gurgi's like, no, Tarn, not you. You have lots of friends. Gurgi has no one. I have no <laughs> I have no reason to live. <laughs> Toss myself in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and of course the like Gurgi comes back to life at the end of the Black Cauldron movie. I'm assuming this prince does not. No, that is something that is different. They really wanted there to be like human choice kind of dictates fate mm. sort of element there or theme going on. So when the prince chooses to sacrifice himself, he he stays dead. So, yeah. But <laughs> I did I thankfully did not watch this movie when I was like as young as oh, yeah, you I watched were, it, you watched it. I didn't. <laughs> I was gonna say I didn't watch it until I was probably in high school or uh, college mm. because I remember downloading it, not in the mostly of ways, and watching it that allegedly. way. So, yeah, allegedly. Uh, <laughs> so I did not cry, but I sat there and I was like, "Huh, okay, that's a choice." All right, this is actually kind of a big one. So. Creeper is a completely original character for the movie. Mm, He is not in the books at all. Yeah. So, I mean, you probably could, if any of the characters, you probably see that. And he doesn't really add too much. No, it's a throw-in piece, like a punching bag almost for the Horn King. Yeah, but he he brings some comic relief. Exactly. But still, like, it would be kind of neat to think, huh, what kind of, what would that, what would that character have been like in the book? All right, some other, like, smaller ones here. The bobble that the princess has does not float around her. It's literally a glass ball that glows. Oh, <laughs> way less cool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Also, the castle they get imprisoned in is a different one. And it's, yeah. So there's a lot there. Like, the Horn King is not the main villain. Aran is. And that that's really the main big plot difference and how they sort of all interact. And because what happened in the movie takes place over two books. There's obviously a lot more with a lot, a lot of different characters. Like Tarn has a, he doesn't give up the magic sword. He gives up a brooch instead. That's magical. And he gets that from another character and that's a whole thing. So there is a lot there. Uh, the last one I want to hit on though, is the fairies, which we didn't even talk about. Yeah. They're, they were kind of like the little like borrower people that like reminded mm-hmm. me of the, the little not so PC people from Willow. <laughs> the yeah. brownies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the brownies. So they're Dolly, the one who leads them to the cauldron, is actually a dwarf, and so isn't the king. And I believe maybe most of them are. Now they can turn invisible, but it's only when they hold their breath. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, it is kind of a neat little power thing. So those are just those are kind of some of the major differences between the book and the movies i do want to say though i'm sure there's a lot more 
because I remember, as I said before, when I read the books and I watched the movie, I was like, what did I just watch? That was not the books. I did want to <laughs> did want to stress that. But overall, like as I was researching some of the differences, I was kind of like, well, it's not really it doesn't seem like that those that major. But I do believe that the antagonist difference is a big thing. Yeah, I could definitely see that being the case. All right, so that's going to do it for our coverage of the Black Cauldron movie by Disney. Yeah. So we're going to have a little bit of a break here in between podcasts because I'm going to be traveling down to New Zealand and going to Hobbiton and (laughs) seeing all that the Shire has to offer in the flesh. So totally excited about that. When we come back from, or when I come back from (laughs) New Zealand, um, I would love to do a podcast just talking about my experience at Habitin. Um, if you're down that'd to hear great. about that, Mike. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we could, should definitely have that conversation. I think that'd be a lot of fun. You'll have to remember all the town names and everything else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what my note sections are for in my book. Or so, you know, I have, <laughs> I have resources to use. Great. Great, great, great. All right. But with all that being said, that's going to do it for us for this week. It's going to be two nerds signing off. See ya. See ya like a culture born.